Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'm Mikey Sickrack. And I am Shane. I fucked it all up. Oh, nope. Uh, <laughs> keep it in, double it. I don't remember what the hell it was now. I'm Powerline, Tevin Shamble. There we go. <laughs> Welcome to episode 148, Three-Way Dance. Woo! It's a three-way three dance. Come much like this show. Tis. Much like this show. ECW never really has taglines. I guess you could just say, extreme. I mean, technically, three-way dance is probably the tagline. Yeah, because it's just like, yeah. like ECW, ECW, whatever ECW date. house show. Yeah. Three-way three dance. dance. Yeah. Another Saturday at the, yeah. at the uh, ECW arena. At the old bingo hall. Yeah. Return of the Funker. That one was full of surprises. I hope, right he, there. I hope he comes back <laughs> at some point during yeah. the show. Spoiler alert for Return of the Funker. I mean, hopefully they're listening to it. <laughs> but this three way dance was a super card produced by ECW. It would take place on April 8th, 1995, from the ECW Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, with an attendance of 1,150 people. Hanging from the rafters. April 8th, that's Rex Manning Day. Did you know that? That is Rex Manning Day. Uh, I'm trying to remember what comedy that's from. Empire, Empire Records. Records. Oh, gotcha. Oh, Rexy, you're so sexy. Say no more of oh, no more. I mostly remember the part where he does acid and watches a guar video. <laughs> Mark! <laughs> yeah. No, I moved to Oklahoma on Rex Manning Day, 2000. <laughs> but we are in Philadelphia. We are. And we might stay here for a little while, too. So. <laughs> Seems okay. like we're always in Philadelphia. Hopefully Shane uh, has a few things for us. Yeah, we should have like bus passes for Philadelphia at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Well, yeah, keeping, uh, keeping up with the trend that we've done on this wild ride of food and beverage across the globe. We're back in Philly, breaking kayfabe. It is technically New Year's Day as we are recording this. So, yeah. I figured I'd bring something that was somewhat New Year's Day-ish, as well as a, uh, a popular beverage from the Philly area. I was looking up on the uh, list of things. Yeah. Apparently, a, a popular beverage that you can get in Philadelphia that people crave is the Beer Mosa. Oh. Uh, pretty simple, just orange juice and a, uh, a nice citrusy beer, preferably a Belgian white or possibly a, a light wheat beer. Uh, this one specifically is Neon Sunshine, uh, an Oklahoma brew. Just did mixed you, with did some... you purposely make mine more orange juicy? No, I made them all about the same. Yeah. The recipe calls for a tall glass with a quarter of orange juice and then top it with beer. Wow. I am not a beer guy, <laughs> and I like this. You know what? I've been drinking this for a little while, and I was trying to figure out what it was. There's a local drink here called a uh are you talking lunchbox the lunchbox yeah. and i was like is this a lunchbox it's like, i contemplated kind of like that lunchbox, just because of the simplicity enough. because it's beer orange juice and then a, a shot of amaretto that's yeah. dropped in it 
But no, I just went for the the simple. This is similar, just without the almondy thing. But yeah, no, super super solid. I, I mean, I, I kind of got the mimosa. Like it felt like there was a little bubbly, but little bubbly in it. I didn't get the beer. Yep. So Belgian beers are a little bit like kind of sweeter anyway. Yeah, that was one of my my first beers when I was making the transition into actually drinking beers. Was all right. I need something that isn't going to make my tongue burn or <laughs> or yeah. taste like piss. Yes. The uh, find something. So it's I got can yeah, like the neon sunshine is kind of like a blue moon, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Blue moon is a popular choice for for a beer mosa just because it it goes nicely with the orange juice. But yeah, this one I figured I'd try and find a, a local flair, and boom, there it was. Yeah, neon sunshine. Blinking bright colors in my eye. Tasty. Well, I can definitely say this is the most beer I've ever drank in one time. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's more in the fridge if you decide you'd like to have another. New year, new you. That's right. <laughs> but something that would happen right around the same time as Three Way Dance, Bad Boys and a Goofy movie would both be released to theaters the same weekend. Bad Boys, Bad Boys. What you gonna do? When Martin Lawrence comes for you. That's right. Will I'm Smith watch the shit out of that movie multiple multiple times. <laughs> yep. I mean, yeah, uh, both great movies. My Bad Boys take is Bad Boys Two is one of the few sequels that's better than it's than the first movie. And I love Bad Boys, but I think I Bad Boys Two is a little better. The hot chick is hotter, the action's better, and Martin Lawrence is a little less annoying in Two because Martin Lawrence can be. Oh, a yeah. little much. Love him Martin to death. Lawrence was but he full on Martin much. Lawrence in in part one. I'm trying to yeah. remember. Who the second the one also has the great two, scene though. where he takes ecstasy. <laughs> and uh, you know, I mean, you know, the, saying the hot chick's hotter in the second movie is just Taylor Leone was in part one, and part two is uh, Gabrielle Union. Okay, both hell yeah, of course, both of course very attractive ladies. Oh yeah, these are just my uh, arguments to state my case for Bad Boys Two, Bad Boys Three. Is the third best Bad Boys movie. <laughs> I, mean, I think a lot of the reason why two is better than one. It's got a bigger budget too. Well, that, but Michael Bay kind of figured some things out because the first Bad Boys is his directorial debut. Um, oh, I didn't realize that was his first first. And film. he went on a a wild ride for a few years of. Also, the yeah. um, when he like Conair or is that somebody else? No, that's someone else. Okay. Uh, the Rock. Yeah. Isn't yeah. The Rock Michael Bay? Yeah, that's a great movie. Okay, that's um, what I was confusing it with. I knew it was a Nicolas Cage movie. What's it called? The, the highway scene in Bad Boys 2 with all the dead bodies full of ecstasy. Pretty good. Pretty good stuff. Goofy movie was never a staple. I remember seeing it like in the theater and liking it, but I don't think I ever really rewatched it except for catching it on TV. So I watched it I was always a like lot. a Nickelodeon or a like traditional traditional disney when i was younger and then it was all like nickelodeon stuff for me so by the time goofy movie came out it was all typically nickelodeon or like pg-13 comedies by by 95 probably yeah we watched the actually no mostly lion king i guess the goofy movie a lot because i was working at blockbuster at the time and we had just taken over a mom and pop video store called video state or yeah video station in uh, lincoln nebraska and this was one of the approved titles that we could watch because we didn't have the full Blockbuster name yet. So we had to watch family-friendly movies until we were fully Blockbuster and got to watch the annoying Blockbuster trailer tapes that they made you watch Oh, yeah, that's long. a bummer. You couldn't just put Casino on? No. 
why Joe Pesci's robotic head gets beat in with a baseball bat. Even in my house, we couldn't put the scene on. No, probably not. I think we watched Homeward Journey quite often. Save that for when I was a furniture rental guy and I took over like the audio-visual area. Oh, nice. So it was like DVDs were just starting to kick in a couple years later and I'd bring in L.A. Confidential and... What the fuck was the other one? Plane, trains, and automobiles. Oh, yeah, it seemed right. like every time there was somebody over checking out the TV, that was a part in plane, trains, and automobiles where he went on this big, long fuck, 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 fuck. Oh yeah, you're like oh, rant. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> I actually just like after putting this down, I was like, man, I haven't watched Goofy movie in forever. I'm gonna rewatch it, and it still holds up. Yeah, it that's is, cool. It is great. Like the father son dynamic between Max and Goofy. Spot on. It's great. I mean, Love a soundtrack it. by Tevin Campbell and can't go wrong. I don't know who Tevin Campbell is. I guess that's he Powerline. was the the yeah Powerline. He was a a major pop star in the late nineties, early nineties, mid nineties. Yeah. yeah. Do not remember. I do remember Powerline though. So he did something right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to Philadelphia, where we see date and location shown before the name of the event. Then Joey Styles welcomes us to the show before previewing the matches we will see. He says it's one of the most controversial nights in this building, so who knows what could happen. He tells us that Sabu hasn't made it to the building, so we will have a surprise in the main event. Joey is then shown at ringside where he brings out Raven, Stevie Richards, and the Broad Street Bullies. And Stevie tells the Bullies that they need to prove themselves tonight. And if they lose, they will be fired. Richard says then he will make Raven proud of him because he got the pit bulls for the bullies to face. Which leads us right into our first match. The Broad Street Bullies of Johnny Hotbody and Tony Stetson versus the pit bulls of number one and number two. Clever names. (laughs) The Pitbulls hit the ring to attack the Broad Street Bullies, knocking Hot Body from the ring, while number two press slams Stetson. Number two continues with a spinning kick into the corner, while number one with an arm wrench crescent kick, and then a super power bomb from number two for the pin and, and the, the win. win. You remember when uh, Johnny Hot Body and Tony Stetson were ECW staples? Thankfully, they're not really anymore. Yeah, they just got stapled to the pit, to the yeah. mat for the rest of their career. Remember when we first saw Pitbull number two and thought, damn, he's impressive. <laughs> and then they continue to, one. And then they continue to be impressive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's still some of the, like, you know, most, most, ras- most wrestling-looking motherfuckers yeah. on the show. Oh, yeah. I just remember seeing him that first time and thinking... This guy has the look to be a superstar, and then they brought in another one, and it's like, all right, cool. Yeah, they look great together. <laughs> Post-match, we're back with Joey at ringside, and Stevie gets some sort of approval for Braven, followed by the Pitbulls saying they will kick anyone's ass as they are told to, calling Raven their master. So basically, the Pitbulls have just replaced the Broad Street Bullies in the nest. In the nest. Richard then starts talking about some girl that Raven knew in summer camp. Raven slaps Stevie before wondering why he would bring some fat, disgusting, overweight piece of hell 
to the ECW arena. Oh, he just makes me miss Rick Rude. <laughs> <laughs> but Richards explains that she's not the same before introducing Beulah McGillicuddy. Maybe the best like wrestling lady name ever because it's so bad. Yeah. It's so good and so bad. <laughs> just think. That could have been a, a long-term storyline. Wasn't... Uh... Curtis Axel, originally a McGillicuddy. Yeah, he was Michael McGillicuddy. Yeah, oh. see, Buell could have been his mom. He could have been the son of Raven. Yeah. So Buell McGuddy, McGillicuddy is now a hottie. She's no longer the fat girl from summer camp. She is not. She, she had what they call in 2021 a glow-up. Wow, she's been hanging out with peaches, huh? <laughs> she is very attractive. <laughs> I, I still wouldn't say she's the best-looking woman in ECW. Because that's still woman, in my opinion. Woman, uh, you know, great looking lady. But Beulah is very attractive. Is this her, like, first... I mean, I assume she's been around wrestling before, but where did she come she from exactly? We got some had worked background in on Calgary, I believe. Okay. With someone. She's an Al- Alberta girl? Trained in the dungeon? I, I, she's not, not trained I know, I know. I didn't think so. No. I think she literally was... Just a, she's uh, like a friend a val- of angels. She's friend a valet of, friend of a or whatever. Friend, yeah. And they got her to basically be. Yeah. Okay, I wasn't sure she was like you know uh, like she a, was somebody's angels roommate one time and you know somebody's boyfriend or if she'd been working the circuit or something. I just wasn't sure. I know that she's Bill McGillicuddy is only famous for ECW. Yes, she. No, she only is in ECW. Yeah, she's yeah. not like woman where she like she, had a long in career. Eighty-eight. She made a one-off appearance in Stampede Wrestling in Calgary as Brian Pillman's sister. Oh, okay. She was dating Pillman at the time, and they had her appear in the crowd so Pillman could get over as a face. Uh, I gotcha. Time. She was then working as a backup dancer for Prince. Oh. When she met the baseball player Ron Gant, who played for the Braves, I believe around this time, who was friends with Raven. And then Raven introduced her to Heyman, and they brought her in. Raven okay, probably yeah. met old what's his face during his WCW. So she's been uh, was the around Raves. wrestling and in entertainment for a while. Huh. I mean, you know, and if, if you pass the Prince test, you pass just about anybody's <laughs> test. And if I'm not mistaken, she is technically still around wrestling as the wife. Of Tommy Dreamer. Oh, okay. Okay. I thought I thought that she had some connection with Dreamer, but of course, a lot of her storylines in ECW will go on to include Tommy Dreamer. So, knowing that knowledge, some of this stuff that happens throughout the next few years with Gula McGillicuddy is makes more it, sense it's now. kind of funny considering that Tommy and her end up getting married. And yeah, yeah. Kids. But after that interview, we go straight to our second match which is Raven with Stevie Richards and Beulah McGillicuddy versus Tommy Dreamer. And as soon as Tommy gets in the ring, the two start brawling back out to ringside, where Dreamer runs Raven into a guardrail and then the wall at the back of the arena. Tommy continues with a trash can over the head before they head out into the crowd, where he uses a frying pan. Goddamn frying pans again. (laughs) Back at ringside, a fan tosses Dreamer a cheese grater. But before he's able to use it, Raven gets a low blow in, but it only stops him momentarily. Tommy uses a safety sign and then gets a fan to hold up a chair. But 
Raven reverses to send Dreamer into the steel instead, before using the chair himself across the head. We see Raven's busted open at this point as he tosses Tommy into a guardrail, and then he flies off the apron with a clothesline. They head back out into the crowd as the fans start chanting, where Raven sends Dreamer into a steel pillar multiple times. Pillared! <laughs> it's basically like where the lights are all set up around. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Around ringside. Back at ringside, Raven comes off the apron with a hip attack, only for Tommy to come back with several chair shots, before heading up to the Eagle's Nest, where Dreamer power slams Raven, before jumping off a ladder with a splash. They make their way back to the ring, where Tommy hits a pile driver and starts biting at the cut on Raven's head. He's hardcore. Dreamer tosses Raven to the ropes, only to telegraph a back body drop, allowing Raven to hit a DDT. He gets back on his feet to hit another DDT, before going to the middle rope to deliver a drop kick, followed by a power slam for a near fall. The camera keeps cutting over to Stevie and Beulah, where they are talking, with McGillicuddy looking very unenthused. Raven goes for a hip toss, only to be countered by something by Tommy. But we don't see what it is as the camera has cut to Richards kissing Beulah before she slaps him. Richard starts choking McGillicuddy, so Dreamer makes his way out to stop him because he's the ultimate babyface. Yeah. Only for Beulah to spray Tommy in the eyes with hairspray, followed by a super kick by Stevie and a DDT by Raven on the floor. Dreamer is rolled back into the ring where Raven makes the cover for the pin and, and the win. Hardcore. So this, straight to the eyes. <laughs> blinded by love. This, so this is the first time these guys have actually had a singles match, right? Didn't they have a match at the last show? Uh, I just I know that we were they, they were trying to do this Tommy and Raven thing for a while. And uh, or was it felt just, like forever that it was, was going to happen. Or I think he might have been on the outside. Yeah, and it was like, I thought it was weird. It's like, oh, well, they've been teasing this for a while, going straight to the second match. Hmm, I can't remember. Either way, solid solid storytelling. uh, Very ECW, very Southern wrestling. You know, minus all the hardcore stuff, I guess. Yeah, the choking of Beulah. I mean, I know it was a little... A little bit of juice on the, you know... On the heel, and then the babyface uh, gets screwed over. This was Raven's first match. Okay, was it, it? Was, okay. it was Stevie versus Tommy the last time with Raven, Raven on the, the inside. Yeah, 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 that's right. Because yeah. they've been teasing it up for a while, so it was like it seemed kind of early to pull the trigger. But I think for their first interaction, it's good stuff. You brought in a new character. You know, the uh, babyface gets screwed. The heel gets a little bit of blood. That's what we're looking for, right? Yeah. yeah. We then head to our third match. Ron Simmons versus Mikey Whipwreck. And Simmons takes the mic and tells him to just go to the back to save himself from a really good ass whooping. Kick his ass, Mikey. Kick his ass. <laughs> I love that everybody's behind behind the boy. And I just love anytime Ron Simmons has a mic because his voice is so deep. A lot of times it struggles to, or you struggle to hear exactly what he's saying. But he's so he's got a commanding voice. Mm-hmm. For sure. Just building up to that Farouk. But Mikey doesn't do so. So Ron just begins to ragdoll Whipwreck around the ring. 
hitting an enziguri, right hands, gut busters, and headbutts as the crowd begins to chant for 911. Joey tells us that Simmons has had issues with 911 lately when Mikey hits a low blow and some clotheslines. Whipwreck comes off the top rope with a missile drop kick and an elbow drop for a two count, but Ron press benches Mikey off, sending him out to the apron. Whipwreck heads up top again for a crossbody, but is caught and power slammed down, followed by multiple choke slams by Simmons as the crowd again chants for 911. Ron doesn't make a cover and instead kicks and choke slams the ref. That's 911's move. For a disqualification. <laughs> Gimmick infringement. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely going to get him out there now. Post match 911 comes out <laughs> when Simmons press slams Mikey onto him, but he simply catches him and sets him down. That was nice. 911 then goes to get into the ring, but Ron hits a shoulder block and starts to beat on the big man, only for him to fight back, grabbing Simmons into a choke, which Ron just drops down and delivers a low blow. Hell yeah. I'm so Simmons. so excited to watch 911 get beat up. I mean, I love Mikey Whipwreck, but I'm so over 911. And I like Ron Simmons. Simmons then choke slams 911 Hell yes. before leaving. My hero. Several other wrestlers come to check on 911 from the back, but he just starts choke slamming all of them, <laughs> including Joel Hartgood, three times. 911 takes a mic and calls Ron Simmons a piece of shit, and then he will fuck him up before they head to the back. The fact remains Ron Simmons choke slammed 911, and that made me very happy. So badly that it took. Or that, that it inspired several people to come down to make sure that he was okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, you know, normally uh, I'd be behind somebody out there defending my boy Mikey Whipwreck, but we we all know, I think, how we all feel about 911 at this point. Necessary, small but a little doses. too over. Small doses. Mm-hmm. Small, small, yes. Small doses of 911. That's all we need. Maybe every other show? I don't know. We go to the ring, and Joey is there with Chris Benoit. And the Crippler says he and his partner came here tonight to prove they were the best in the world. To beat the best professional wrestler. And then calls Sabu a pussy for staying in Japan. So, they don't show it, but literally before the show ever started, Paul Heyman went out into the ring and told the crowd about Sabu. Sabu had, he was scheduled to be there. For the main event, but he decided to stay in Japan and continue to work there. Because they were obviously paying him a lot more money. Most likely. But at some point you have to, if you have an obligation to be someplace. It's not good Not good business it's practice. Not good business. And it's also uh, a way for Polly to get the crowd behind him. Pissed. And exactly. get the crowd excited for something else by blaming a guy for not showing up to, like, the ECW guys. ECW only ever happens in one place. People that show up here love this thing. That's right. It's a destination. Sabu, because of this, would be fired from ECW, and so we won't see him for quite, oh. a, few, quite a few months. For a bit. Yeah. And we know he'll be back. <laughs> Benoit then continues by calling out Taz where the two start to brawl until Malenko shows up to hit a clothesline from behind. All of a sudden, 
Rick Steiner runs into the ring to clothesline the triple threat. The fuck? Before hitting a super belly-to-belly suplex on the Crippler, while Taz hits an overhead belly-to-belly on Dean. We then get Fuck Sabu chants from the crowd as the maniac and the dog-faced gremlin hug. Well, thank you, Japan. If you're going to keep Sabu, I'll take Rick Steiner. I know. I I, I kind of <laughs> peed a little. I was like, ah, it's my guy. Yeah, I'll announce it right now. This is my most surprising moment. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was very pumped. But we go to our fourth match. Eddie Guerrero versus Two Cold Scorpio for the ECW World Television Championship. So the last time we saw Eddie was at the AAA when Worlds Collide show, episode 134. While we haven't seen the TV championship itself since Hardcore Heaven 94, which was episode 127. So it's kind of been... On the back burner? Back burner. At, uh, I think Jason, the sexiest man on earth, we had saw him win, win, it from win the belt on that Hardcore Heaven show. But since then, he had lost it to Too Cold, who had traded it back and forth with D. Malenko, but had regained it the month prior. This match is also Eddie's debut in ECW. Hell yeah. Color us excited. <laughs> what color is that? Um, maybe like... Red, a, gold, and green. Oh uh, yeah, I was going to say like maybe like a, <laughs> like a pink or electric yellow, but... Uh, Neon yeah. sunshine. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm going to go with a Mexican flag for Eddie. There we go. So Guerrero starts shoving Scorpio right off the bat, and the crowd seems very behind him. More shoving before the two men break into some mat wrestling until Eddie hits a side suplex that sends two Cole rolling out to the floor to regroup. Guerrero extends for a handshake, only for Scorpio to shove him down. So Eddie kips up, and the two begin to trade pin attempts for no counts. Now two Cole extends the hand, allowing Eddie to grab and hit a short arm clothesline, scoot slam, and a slingshot senton from the apron before applying the Scorpion Deathlock, which Scorpio powers out of immediately. But Eddie's nasty, and we know that. Standing drop kick, brain buster by Guerrero, heads up for a frog splash for the pin, and no, two cold kicks out. Eddie locks on a headlock to wear down Scorpio, who escapes to hit a Japanese arm drag, a drop kick, and a super kick. Too Cold then continues with a pump kick before dumping Guerrero out to the floor, following out to whip Eddie into a guardrail a couple of times. Scorpio brings Guerrero in the hard way for a two count before hitting a butterfly suplex for a near fall. Too Cold looks to hit another suplex, only for Eddie to mule kick down low, hitting a running clothesline, which forces Scorpio to roll to the floor to regroup once again. Guerrero looks to fly through the ropes, but catches himself when Too Cold runs off down the aisle. So Eddie goes up to the top rope, coming off with a crossbody. Back in the ring, Guerrero with a fisherman suplex and a tornado DDT. For a two count. Sends Scorpio to the corner, charging in after, only for too cold to move. Forgot the eye poke before the tornado DDT. 
I love an Eddie Guerrero eye poke. I also love that when they were one of the times they were on the floor, somebody tried to give Too Cold a frying pan. He just absolutely knows Holton. It's like, uh, this is not a frying, this is not not a frying that, pan this match. Is not that kind of These guys don't need time. frying pans, I promise. <laughs> Scorpio hits a back elbow and heads up top, only for Eddie to meet him there, to crotching. Grove then hits a Frankensteiner for <sighs> a near fall. Eddie takes Too Cold back up to the ropes for another high-risk maneuver, only to be shoved off, followed by Scorpio flying off with a crossbody for a two-count. Too Cold keeps up the attack with an avalanche splash, a body slam, and then heads up top for a moonsault for the near fall. Scorpio continues with a powerbomb, a somersault leg drop, before heading up top for the tumbleweed which is that corkscrew somersault leg drop for the pin. And no, Guerrero kicks out. Too Cold hits another super kick before sending Eddie to the ropes, who comes back with a body scissors into a roll-up for the pin and and the win. And no! Post-match, the two men shake hands out of respect for each other. Yeah, Too Cold is uh, surprised and uh, shakes Eddie's hand. And I mean, Eddie really took a beating there at the end and won, uh, won with uh, the sharper the sharper mind. That's uh, one hell of a debut there, Eddie. Yeah. Also, it's funny when like Too Cold makes mistakes when he's working typically with sloppier guys he and has make, gotten much better he's gotten way he way way better but like he seems typically seems to rise to the, the occasion the, he like yeah he like to the person that's across the ring from him it's like do you think he still has it yeah he's got it because i mean i just saw a uh, an advertisement for two cold scorpio challenging for the oh. ring of honor championship yeah i think him and gresham are i thought you weekend. meant has it right now i thought you meant like in 95 no oh, i mean now? i mean now I have yeah, no idea. He's, he's gonna be challenging for the ring of honor championship at a gcw show or something like that i mean i like gresham a lot so i'm interested in that uh i don't know that two cold has it um upstairs because i've seen him <laughs> some of his recent uh, interviews and uh he comes off as kind of a lunkhead but you know a little bit some some wrestlers are lunkheads one too many ddts or uh yeah falling on his heads from some slipping on a rope we then go to our fifth match ian rotten versus axel rotten in a hair versus hair match now as axel is coming out ian runs out of the ring to attack only to be run into the guardrail multiple times Followed by a frying pan shot and the use of a safety sign digging into Ian's forehead. And Ian is busted open. <laughs> Just right from the get-go. Here's a frying uh, pan, here's a, uh, a safety sign. I mean, it's, it's Ian and Axel. These guys uh, are here for the for the blood match. Yeah. For guys, a while. Did you guys catch Sign Guy's sign? Um, what did it say? Shave him as bald as Hogan. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> That's classy. I know there's a show coming up that we will be talking about where the sign is blurred out. Not sure what that one said. I bet I can tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. I'm sure it's really inappropriate. So back into the ring, Ian is sent into the corner only to move out of the way of a charging axle 
before they head back out to the floor, where they go into the crowd to trade chair shots, which busts Axel open. They continue to brawl throughout the crowd, finally making their way into the ring, where Axel hits a clothesline, followed by digging the timekeeper's hammer into Ian's arm. Ian fires back with a swinging neckbreaker for a two-count before they head back out to the floor, where Ian hits a dropkick and tosses Axel over into the crowd, followed by leaping over himself with a senton. The two are brawling in the midst of the crowd again when Axel hits a suplex on the bleachers, followed by a chair shot. Axel then brings them back into the ring with chair in hand but a low blow from Ian allows him to take the chair away and use it over the head of Axel. Ian throws the chair down to the mat, but then grabs Axel to hit a pile driver onto it, before coming off the middle rope with an elbow drop, but Axel ends up moving. Axel then picks up the chair for a running chair shot, for the pin, and And the the win. win. Post-match, Axel gets some scissors, and he begins to cut Ian's mohawk and just starts throwing the hair out to the crowd, allowing Ian to grab a paint tray and use it across the backs of Axel. Ian then grabs the scissors and starts to gouge at the face of Axel. Davis. Uh, yeah, it's a, little, it's a little bit much with the scissors, but you know. Who do you think you are, Abby? I mean, I'm pretty sure Ian Rotten does think that he is uh, <laughs> he is the modern Abby, pretty much. But yes, this is this is our blood match. Yeah. I mean, it's it's what it is. It's... It, it started with a firing pan and a, a sign to the face. Ends with a stabbing of the face with scissors. Exactly. Yeah. Spoiler. Uh, we'll, we'll see, see this match a few more times. Uh, yeah. I mean, it feels like it might go on forever. Who knows? It just might. I don't know when it ends. Yeah, it's like, uh, uh, we'll never, yeah, they never have to uh, worry about changing the fifth match of the card. <laughs> it's like, I just put Ian and Axel right there in the middle. So we head to our sixth match. Dino Sandoff versus Hack Myers. Sha! Just one? Sha! Yeah. Oh, okay. The Sha of ECW. So Myers, with a series of right hands and elbows to start the match, Sends Dino to the ropes, who trips on his way back. So they redo the spot, allowing Hack to hit more elbows and clotheslines. Oh, Dino. You really, like, you didn't work. If you wanted another 50 bucks, maybe not mess up the first spot. (laughs) Sandoff is set up with his head on the bottom rope, where Myers hits a leg drop from the apron before dragging Dino out to the floor, where he tries for another clothesline only for Sandoff to move, causing Hack to hit the ring post. Posted. Dino begins to work the arm back inside the ring, ramming it into turnbuckles several times before hitting a short arm clothesline. Sandoff goes for a hammerlock body slam, and then another short arm clothesline, only for Myers to duck, followed by him hitting a brain buster for the pin and And the the win. More like Dino send-off. <laughs> Dino not so bravo. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Absolutely not so bravo. And we're not the world's biggest Dino Bravo fans. No. But he is the world's strongest man. This is my heart. And Jesse Venturis. <laughs> so we're heading straight to our seventh match. Sandman with woman. And cigarettes. 
versus the <laughs> franchise, Shane Douglas, for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. Nice little segue from Sandoff to Sandman. <laughs> Beautifully done there, old ECW. So Shane has mm-hmm. convinced President Todd Gordon to ban the Singapore King from this match. So Sandman will be without his usual weapon. Rude. Now as the bell rings, the franchise attacks from behind, hits a back body drop, a vertical suplex, and a neck snap. The match then cuts ahead to Sandman having Douglas in a cross-faced chicken wing near the ropes, where Sandman's telling woman to slap Shane, but she isn't doing it. She's refrains. Shoulder breaker by Sandman before applying another hold, and he's still yelling at woman to slap him. I know Sandman's doing a little bit of wrestling here, too. We get another cut in action, and Sandman then comes off the top rope with a leg drop, telling Woman to go get the Singapore King. It's a long-distance leg drop for Sandy. Another cut in action, and now Sandman hits a pile driver on the franchise. Nasty. Woman is on the apron with the cane. She starts to light a cigarette for the Sandman, but then tosses the cane to Douglas, who uses it for a low blow, cradling up the Sandman for the pin and, and the, the win. win. So post-match, Woman and Shane kiss to celebrate the victory. Oh my god! And then dump Sandman cigarettes on him. Ah. But after Fine. they leave, Sandman lights one up before leaving the ring as well. He's dejected, but he's still going to get that nicotine. Yeah, damn right. So then we go to Sandman in the locker room, and he promises wrath will come woman's way, saying that he beat his wife, so why wouldn't I beat you? (laughs) Oh my god, it's so nasty, but so true. Class. (laughs) I'm going to beat up the franchise, and then woman, like the bitch that she is. We then cut to Shane Douglas and woman in the locker room, and the franchise remembers the fireworks he had when he defeated Sandman, and that he doesn't have what it takes to be champion, meaning Sandman. Woman says she isn't afraid of Sandman because he is nothing without her. Interesting. <laughs> I beat my wife, so why not you? Yeah, it's like, you encouraged me to beat my wife, and I did it, so, yeah. <laughs> so, like, you think that you're not going to get hit? <laughs> so this turn, like, as everyone knows, kayfabe, we, we record multiple episodes at a time. So, knowing what we know, this hill turn doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But I think, <laughs> as we'll see on the next episode, there was more to the storyline if a certain person hadn't been, hadn't decided to leave, basically. Yeah, yeah. Still, I mean, Shane Douglas got a good promo, Sandman here. It's at least a shocking. I did not expect that to go down. And it was pretty well put together, all things considered. We then go to our eighth match. The public enemy of Flyboy, Rocco Rock, and Johnny Grunge versus the triple threat of the Crippler, Chris Benoit, and Dean Malenko versus Taz and Rick Steiner with Paul E. Dangerously, in a three-way dance for the ECW Tag Team Championships. Yep, there's four world-famous wrestlers and two ECW fan favorites. 
It says a lot about ECW. Fans. <laughs> <laughs> so Triple Threat attacks Public Enemy as soon as they get into the ring with their belts. Malenko's working over grunge when Taz and Steiner run in for them to hit a belly-to-belly and a Tazplex Ooh. on Public Enemy. Ooh. Just hearing those names together, it's just... My brain still can't wrap around it. Right? Taz just, yeah, a couple of suplex machines. <laughs> I love it. Suplex City continues on everyone, including a T-bone suplex on Ben Wall. But he makes it to his feet to start running the ropes, ducking a dog-faced gremlin clothesline before hitting a release German on Rick, only for him to come right back with a Steiner line and top rope bulldog. Everybody's now brawling on the floor. Grunge is using a chair on Dean when Taz rolls Rocco into the ring, hitting him with a cookie sheet before tossing it to Rick, who uses it as well. Malenko and Grunge are brawling on one side, while the Crippler, Maniac, and Flyboy are on the other side, where Chris runs Taz into a ring post, face first. Posted. Inside the ring, Steiner and the Maniac go for a double-team clothesline on Rock, but he ducks and leaps off the middle rope with a moonsault, only for the dog-faced Gremlin to catch him, hitting a Steiner screwdriver, making the cover, only for Johnny to make the save. I know, what a, I mean, catching him out of a moonsault into a Steiner screwdriver. So that's a way to get a three-count, man. Everybody's still brawling around ringside as the triple threat whips Taz into a chair, while Rick delivers a back elbow to Grunge. Flyboy starts hitting everybody with frying pan shots. You you get a frying pan. I always want to do the Oprah <laughs> joke, and I apologize. I'll stop. Until the maniac steals one away to hit Rocco's modern life with one. Oh my gosh. Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I take it back. I'm using all the Oprah jokes I want. Yeah. Steiner and Public Enemy start brawling into the crowd while Triple Threat work over Taz inside the ring with a double-team faceplant, followed by a flying headbutt from Ben Wall and a roll-up by Malenko for the pin. So Taz and Steiner are eliminated, but they clean house with suplexes, including them suplexing Public Enemy into each other as security comes down. Yeah, that looked really scary. <laughs> the officials finally get them out of the ring, but not before they use Paulie's phone on everybody, busting Johnny open. We then get triple threat working over public enemy with turnbuckle smashes, leg drops, but grunge goes low on Dean, followed by hitting a second rope pump splash for a two count. The two teams continue to brawl using chairs and crutches when Malenko hits a knee drop for a near fall. Dropkick from Dean sends Grunge out to the floor. So now everybody's brawling out there again, where Rocco hits a chair shot across the ankle of Benoit. Johnny Malenko back in the ring, where Dean goes for a sunset flip, only for Grunge to stay up and sit down, followed by using a steel cable to choke and clothesline Malenko. Flyboy and the Crippler have made their way to the Eagle's Nest, where Rock hits a DDT before setting Chris on a table. Rocco climbs up to the balcony, coming off with a senton, but Benoit has moved. Back in the ring, Dean has escaped a cover with a boot on the rope, but Johnny's choking him again before hitting a netbreaker for a two-count. Benoit and Rocco have made their way back to the ring, so everybody's 
everybody's there again. We're all we're all back to the to the actual ring, out of the nest. Yeah. Rocco, you know, pulled himself out of the wreckage. Yeah. After he sent on a chair. Or not a chair, a table. Table. Where Triple Threat double teams Flyboy with a whip aided clothesline and a Malingo brainbuster. The Crippler then brings a table into the ring where they set it up, allowing Benoit to put Rock through it with a superplex. And we get a fuck Sabu chant. Everybody's uh, pretty down on, on the old fan favorite. Pissed. Including Malenko, who does the Sabu pose and then basically just kind of gives the birds as a, <laughs> yeah, as a fuck you. It might be the most flair Malenko's ever. Like, we all love Malenko, but he is a meat potato man. And uh, seeing him even mock Sabu brought In a smile to my face. I've actually heard that Malenko is one of the funniest... Like, charming guys. Guys in the back. Like really? He's the guy, he's, he's always playing, like, little pranks on people. So yeah. In the back, he's... Wow. That's so funny. I would never have guessed that. No one that. would. Yeah. Landstorm appeal on camera. I know. I'm going to have to do some Dean Malenko deep dive and out of curiosity, because <laughs> uh, I love that. Because he's just, like, he's all business. Mm-hmm. He's kind of, uh, like, even more all business than, like, Arn. Honestly. Triple Threat then throws Rocco to the outside before double-teaming Johnny with a snap suplex. Before they graciously just let each other make the cover, allowing Grunge to kick out each time. A double drop kick for a near fall as Johnny gets a boot on the rope. And they go for a double back body drop, only for Grunge to counter into a double DDT. Oh no. Flyboy then comes in off the top rope with a drive-by for the pin. And the win. And new! Post-match, Taz comes running back into the ring to attack Malenko, but Benoit stops him momentarily, followed by Steiner coming out to help, where these two teams end up brawling to the back while Public Enemy celebrates in the ring. All of a sudden, the Pitbulls run in to attack Public Enemy using change, followed by number two hitting a running power slam on Grunge as the show fades to black. I wonder what the next tag match could be. So I ask you, gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of three-way dance? Is this the rise of public enemy? <laughs> I don't want it to be. I mean, I assume Dean and Chris probably have work to do elsewhere coming up, and public enemy uh, probably never will. You're going to hunt down Sabu. Um, I mean, this is April, so Best of Super Juniors is usually in May, so... There's a possibility both of them could be headed back over to Japan. Yeah, yeah and Public Enemy obviously can be there every week, so yeah, it's whatever. And like we know Rick Steiner is not going to be a fucking ECW staple. No. So it makes sense for Public Enemy to win, and I think I don't think Public Enemy is trash. They just gets a little thin sometimes. <laughs> be the nice way to put it. But overall, a very solid ECW show with a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. Yep, it was. It, it had some surprises in there for me. Like I said, I had no idea that Rick Steiner was even in ECW until yeah. all of a sudden he was there. I popped for Rick. I popped <laughs> for Scorpio and Eddie having a match, uh, which was very good. And then um, choke slam on nine one one. Choke slam on nine one one. Love to see that. Love to see 
a real, you know, trashy soap opera turned um, <laughs> in uh, Sandman and Shane Douglas. Yeah. Uh, so, like, the show was really fun and pretty quick. Yeah. Very easy I, watch. I enjoyed it for the most part. I just, I'm not a Public Enemy fan by any means, so I was like, yeah. Rocco's got his moments, but, like, grunge could just really be a better partner. <laughs> I was enjoying this show up until the main event. And I'm not saying the main event was bad. Hmm. It's messy. I just want to say that this match doesn't properly utilize the skills that these six guys have. Because Steiner in a, basically a brawl match, Taz in a brawl match, like, that that doesn't utilize their talents. Ben, Benoit and Malenko yeah. in a, this is a public enemy style match. Yep. And These are not public style, public enemy style. Public for, enemy for against the, six, the rottens. Against four of the six guys Jack are not guys that need to be in brawls. We can watch them wrestle, and they're going to. Yeah, I would say Taz is probably the most comfortable in a brawl, but that's because he's basically an ECW guy. Whereas the other guys work ECW, or Rick Steiner is working ECW. Malenko and Benoit are working ECW, but they're not ECW guys. I mean. Old Rhodes and not Smash. I can't remember what the hell his name was in WCW, but you know they got fired, so they needed to just pop in here and be injected into this little brawl match. It would have made oh, a little more sense. God, no. <laughs> but I am going to say this. I feel there is a shortlist match on this show in Eddie and Too Cold. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. and That's got to be the one. <laughs> the introduction of a fat and disgusting young lady, which kind of kicks off the whole Tommy Raven feud which will go on for multiple years. I feel like it's been it's been started very weakly for a while now and this is finally busted it open. Yeah. yeah. I'd say I would recommend this show mm-hmm. to someone. Yeah, it feels like it as far as like ECW necessity it's probably like a it's like you you should. Yeah. You like you should just for like history's sake of Beulah McGillicuddy showing up alone. Good, Where, where's the smart marks at? Alright, fuck you. I think it's time we smart it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? Ooh, ooh. <laughs> I mean, that's my Rick Steiner. Yes. Yes. I mean, yeah, all the suplexes that Taz and Steiner do when they first get in the ring, I was just like, this is what I want all the time. Because it's why I love the Steiner brothers. I mean, Taz is... Taz is like the Steiner... Taz is, is, a like good, the... is a good Scott Steiner replacement if we're not going to bring in Scott, you know? Yeah, yeah. Taz is kind of like uh, the like the, the little brother of the Steiners yeah. in a way. Yeah, what else? I've already said it just I mean, a minute ago. The... I mean, I know you guys love the, the Simmons... The show, Simmons 911 deal, the debut of Eddie. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know we've seen him before in tag matches in AAA and as Black Tiger, but a singles match with Eddie Guerrero. Yeah, with his with the mask off. Uh, yeah. And if it's going to be against somebody right now, like, and it's not going to be Chris or Dean, it might as well be Too Cold Scorpio. <laughs> I'd rather see him against Too Cold than Sabu, honestly. I'm sure we'll see that match at some point. I'm sure we will too. So yeah, I'm I'm all good with uh, really any Eddie Guerrero singles match. Paul's cell phone made an appearance, so that's always nice. A little throwback to the days that were. The pitbulls keep growing on me. 
Yeah. I'll, I'll say, I mean, you guys were on them from, like, day one, but they <clears throat> they keep growing on me. I they mean, legitimately look great. They the, feel like they could have mixed in with, like, that late 80s, early 90s WCW, like, tag team renaissance where you just had yeah. nothing but giant guys doing big stuff yeah. they're, they're uh, and becoming, looking impressive. Yeah, they're becoming believable as a tag team as opposed to when they were first thrown together and they were just two big guys that you were told were now a tag team. Plus, they're the only big guys on the shows that are jacked that aren't like Ron Simmons, who's obviously not sticking around. But like, as far as ECW staples, they're the biggest and most impressive looking guys. Like these yeah. guys look like bodybuilders. They would fit in in WWF in any era. Just the, their Tell looks. Me. I mean, number one, long hair guy, bald some, guy, throwing I, some spandex and some chains, and you know. I literally was looking at number one. And I was like, he looks like is a fucking he related star? to Rhino. Oh yeah, <laughs> like him and Rhino look a lot alike. Yeah, he's got the big, big, long, beautiful that. hair, and then the other guy's got short hair. They both wear like the shiny black singlets and chains. Like they look great. I like them more than Rocco. Rock. I apologize, Rocco. I don't apologize, Rocco. Fuck you, Rocco. <laughs> How about most disappointing? Sabu and Sabu his, his non-care for his fans. But, but if, but if he hadn't shown up, we wouldn't have gotten Rick Steiner. True. Yeah, which is so, fun. And like, I mean, but I mean, as soon as we saw Rick Steiner, we should we know that Taz and Steiner aren't keeping the belts. Yeah. Also, the idea of Sabu coming back in the future and coming back as a heel is also pretty great, potentially. But you know, it's always a bummer when somebody doesn't show up. But if you're gonna replace somebody with Rick Steiner, I'm always gonna be okay with it. I mean, I think just along the lines of since my, one of my best moments was I, the pit bulls are growing on me. They keep trying to ram Hack Myers down my throat, Ugh. and it's not doing anything for me. No, <clears throat> I honestly forgot about that match. I guess that's a low point. Ian and Axel, they do what they do. Uh, as long as it doesn't go forever, I'm normally okay with it, but it's not particularly I mean, my thing. I can guarantee the the. Ian and Axel is probably going to be a disappointing moment for us for a few week for a few weeks just because it's the same match basically over and over again. Some are better than others, but by how by what degree? I mean, this was probably had the most wrestling. This match had the most wrestling in the out of the ones that are going to be over the next few weeks. Spoiler alert. Yeah, but yeah. It might not be the most exciting, though, still. I don't know. It's hard to really judge those kinds of matches, especially when the story isn't really getting juiced up. They're just getting more juice. Yeah. <laughs> each, yeah. each match. I mean, I guess if we want blood, they're giving us blood. Yeah, if you want blood, we've got it. Yeah. Anything else disappointing? Not really. I mean, like we said, Public Enemy with the belts makes sense. So I mean, I it makes mad. the most sense out of all yeah. of those. I, I mean, ain't mad about it. I like, like Rocco, I said, the main Rocco event it, four of the six guys are not brawlers, and we had a brawler style match. So that match was probably is probably one. I mean, the two squash matches obviously the main event was better than those. Yes, but I was probably most disappointed in the main event with the potential, talent, yeah. the talent that was in the ring. I mean, I'll go deep on this one. They did some impressive things for sure, but I'll go deep on this one. My one of my most disappointing things is. Just the severe amount of woman beating. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
I mean, it's uh, going to be a thing does, for a while. She deserves it. Not just women, but women in general being, on the show. Being hit, yes. Yeah. That's a, ECW uh, loves that yeah. a lot, and we'll see it a lot. A lot. We do not condone it, but uh, we will be covering it. Yes. <laughs> well, let's move on to best performer. Is it Rick Steiner? It's probably Eddie. I'm okay with that. Actually, yeah, it probably is Eddie. First time in the company... They put the belt on him. and It's a big singles match. The match, I think, was chopped up a little bit, but we got most of it. I think that match was full. Okay. I know we got the, the Sandman-Shane Douglas match. Okay, that out. one was chopped up. Okay. Which, if they're chopping that match up, then good lord, who knows what they cut out. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's Sandman. We know Shane Douglas is great, but uh, Sandman is kind of a sandbag. Yes. Any other suggestions for best performer? I mean, I gotta give it to Eddie's. I mean, of course, he had his dance partner also pretty up there, and then Rick gets a gold star just because he's Rick Steiner. Yeah, either either Eddie or I'll just dip back to what I was saying or we were saying before and give Ron a uh, a thumbs up for his <laughs> for his yeah his choke slam on nine one one. Somebody finally <laughs> had to do it, and Ron Simmons is a, a big beautiful man mm-hmm. at nine one one. It's a big old turd. Well, then let's go to most surprising. And obviously Shane's already told us that Rick Steiner was his most surprising. Yep. Absolutely. I'd say um, my second most surprising is... Beulah? Beulah yeah, showing yeah. up? Yeah, Beulah and then like... The fuck Sabu Eddie, chance. I guess. <laughs> Sabu, Sabu not showing up. Sabu being uh, like basically turned heel. I mean... For like... Ron for Simmons reasons. choke slamming 911 is kind of a surprise. True. Like, yeah. Like I said, the, big, big guys don't usually get... Choke slam. That's also that's kind of one of the reasons that this is a like for ECW history purposes. You probably should watch it because there is some like actual surprises which you don't always get with ECW's show. No. Sometimes it's just what you think it's going to be. I mean, it could be DC Drake guys. Ugh, Dino Sandoff. Dino Sandoff. Oh, what's his name that I can't remember? I always made fun of him. He hasn't been on forever though. The, the big Trojan Italian guy. Oh, uh, um, I love Sal his name. Balamo. There Sal we go. Balamo. <laughs> old, South, old Salami Balamo. There we the, go. Uh, we've seen so many so many guys come and go already. So many staples yeah, come and go. So many more. Oh, yeah, we will. Yep. But it's nice when they're people that are near and dear to our heart. It's okay if Rick Steiner comes and goes. We'll remember that when Rick Steiner showed up and it was cool. And now, for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair would have their second matchup at Clash of the Champions 6 in New Orleans, where the two men would trade falls in the first 30 minutes. But as the match was nearing an hour, the Dragon would go for another submission, only to fall backwards with each men having their shoulders on the mat. As the ref counted, Nature Boy would get a boot under the ropes, while Steamboat would get a shoulder up, leading to a controversial ending, setting up a third match at Wrestle War. On March 7, 1989, in Nashville, Tennessee, the two men would exchange momentum throughout the match, until Ricky would hit a superplex and apply the double chicken wing but Flair would wrap his legs around the ropes to escape. Later in the match, the dragon would head to the top rope, only for Nitch to fall into the ropes, causing Steamboat to fall off and hurt his leg. 
the Nature Boy would take advantage, locking on the figure four, which Ricky would escape by making to the ropes. The dragon would fight back with chops, trying for a scoop slam, only for his leg to give way, allowing Flair to cradle Steamboat up for the pin and to become the MWA World's Heavyweight Champion for the seventh time. After the match, Nature Boy would immediately be challenged by Terry Funk, but when he was denied, Nature would be put through a table with a pile driver. Flair would survive his feud with Funk in the following months, only for a man that was making waves to challenge him at the next year's Great American Bash. Wrestle War uh, 89, my favorite pay-per-view logo of all time, and um, the end of the Steamboat Flair um, trilogy, and one of the best endings of a pay-per-view that I can kind of think of is... Terry Funk, who's been on commentary, asks for a challenge and says he says no, so he just takes him through the announce table. It's pretty brutal for it's kind uh, of the know, first great. table spot, yeah, that had really ever been seen. And we all know the Funk pile driver is always the nastiest pile driver for some reason. <laughs> so yeah, great show. If you haven't watched it, go, go watch Wrestle War '89. Go back and listen to our episode of it next week. Hostel City Showdown 1995. Guess what, y'all? We're back in Philly. Motown Philly. Still nah, here. Nah, yeah, we're nah, still nah, here. Nah, nah. Are we excited, for, <laughs> I mean, we excited yes, sure. for some more ECW? We are. We are. Oh, Sometimes yeah. we get on these runs where it's like two or three WCW shows in a row, two or three ECW shows in a row. It's really nice when you get like a 1-1-1. One, one, one. Yeah, so, one of each would be great. But... It's really good sometimes. Yeah. Some, but, you know, it is what it is. Exactly. We're back back to Philly. So music from this week's show is Thunder Kiss 65 by White Zombie. 5-5. Five, five. Yeah. Yeah. And Public Enemy won our main event, so we play their music. Here comes the Hot Stepper. Murderer. <laughs> by Any Kamozi. Any Kamozi. Come on now. I never knew who sung that song, so cool. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, I'll Shane. leave this in. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or where you find your podcasts at. If you want to email us any questions, comments, concerns, recipes, you can do that at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Twitter at wrestlinghistox. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O-X. We'll talk to you next week. Nah, 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 laters.